So hi, everybody. Welcome to our six-part series, Agents of Change. I'm Nancy Brimhall, and Ed Lynn uh, and I are co-hosts for our conversation today. We've really, in this whole series, we've enjoyed talking to exceptional people who are clearly changing things up. We're curious, as we hope you are, as to what is motivating them to find solutions for problems we didn't always know we even had. And you know, who are they and how are they changing the world as we know it? Ed and I are from careers in the nonprofit world and have come to believe along the way that change really comes from within people who then drive organizations and industries that are ripe for new ideas. We hope that you'll find what you hear about each of their journeys as fascinating as we do and that it will inspire you. Here, we will introduce you to Candace Cable, a 12-time medal winner uh, uh, at nine different Paralympics, winning eight golds, two silvers, and two bronzes across track and field, Nordic skiing, and alpine skiing. Additionally, she's over 80 first place finishes from marathons around the world, a true champion. So welcome, Candice. Ed and I are really so honored that you're here with us and that we might learn more about your personal journey into the world of Paralympic medals and what has brought your important voice forward now in driving change on an international scale for the disabled community. Um, so the obvious question is, tell us a little bit about how you got there. <laughs> so. Well, thanks, Ed and Nancy, for having me here. Um, and hi to all the listeners. This, uh, so Na I just want to say Nancy and I are really good friends. We, uh, we're neighbors, and so I have an opportunity to be able to learn about some of the things that Nancy's been doing in this nonprofit world, and I'm pretty excited to be a part of this today because one of the things in the nonprofit world oftentimes is funders and, and the people that get the grants don't think about disability. They don't think about accessibility, and and that has been a part of my life since I had a spinal cord injury in 1975 from a car accident. Previous to that time, I was a Southern California kid growing up in, in the LA area and non-disabled and running around and figuring, you know, I pretty much could do anything I wanted. I felt like every opportunity was available to me and that there wasn't anything that if I put my mind to it that I couldn't do. Mm -hmm. And after my spinal cord injury, that all changed because I was now using a wheelchair for mobility. This was 1975. Yeah. And in 1975, there were no laws. There was no access. There, you know, the civil rights movement had some acts that were put in place for civil rights for people, but people with disabilities were left out mm -hmm. of all of that. So I come into this space in Southern California using a wheelchair and I have no role models, mm -hmm. you know, pun intended, <laughs> <laughs> but I, nothing, I never even seen anyone who'd used a wheelchair. And what was really interesting to me that happened was that I felt like my life was over because I was using a wheelchair now. Mm -hmm. And I thought, where did that come from as time passed? And it's a societal overlay mm -hmm. around disability that we think disability is a bad thing. Disabled people aren't capable. And before the mid 20th century, we really didn't see disabled people. We didn't come out be before that because we were either eradicated or institutionalized. Mm -hmm. 
my first Paralympic Games was 1980. And at the time, we were starting to bring the Olympic and Paralympic Games into the same cities and the same venues. Mm -hmm. That year, the games were in Moscow. And the Soviets said they didn't have any disabled people. <laughs> so they were going to hold the Paralympics. I mean, that's the mentality that wow. we had in the society yeah. around disability is that we didn't even exist. Mm -hmm. So in 1975, when I was first injured, I didn't exist. Wow. And I was pretty depressed. I was angry. Mm -hmm. uh, I also had a lot of physical pain from my spinal cord injury, which is called neuropathic pain. That was a part of, um, it was like electrical shock kind of feeling in my legs mm -hmm. that I've since, since had a surgery in 2001 that alleviate all of it. Thank you very much Good. to the doctors that figured that out. But I had a lot of self-medicating that I did for the first year and a half because I had no coping skills. Mm -hmm. I got into a live-in program to stop using drugs and stop destructive behavior and started working with a psychologist and going to group therapy to really redefine who I could be. And after I'd finished that program, which probably wasn't a whole nother year mm. of really redesigning who I could be, I started going to university. And I was going to Long Beach State here mm -hmm. in Southern California. They had disabled student services. And I went there and I found my people. Mm. And I suddenly was now back into a community that I felt empowered by and using some of my new skills and being with some of my new friends, they were doing sports. Uh -huh. So this is where sports started in my life because previously to my spinal cord injury, I wasn't an athlete at all. No? Not at all. Wow. Yeah. And, and I wanted to be with them. Yeah. And I wanted to be in community and they were doing sports mm -hmm. and there were a few adapted sports that were being invented. Mm -hmm. And I gravitated towards the wheelchair racing because, well, I think it's like everybody does. Um, you try it, you're actually good at it mm. from the start. And you go, oh, I think I could do this. Uh -huh. And that's where I started to move into this idea that I could be an athlete, but it was only through this new community that I had been a part of. And so I was able to connect with a coach and as I said, my first Paralympic Games was 1980. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started competing in wheelchair racing, which is like running. And so we have wheelchair races on the road in 10Ks, marathons, 5Ks, those kind of things, as well as the track. Mm -hmm. And I was part of a group that pioneered the equipment, the wheelchair for wheelchair racing. Wow. And, uh, and we traveled at one point we were traveling all over the country to build wheelchair divisions in running races mm -hmm. because race directors didn't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. And that was my first taste of advocacy and that I could create actual change. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And this is only about five years after you've, uh, yeah, it's really injury? about two and a half years after my spinal cord injury where I started to go to university in 1977 uh -huh. and I hooked in with some people. Yeah. Uh, and really, honestly, disabled student services at universities are fantastic mm. because 
oftentimes someone with a disability is one of maybe a few people on campus uh -huh. and it's incredibly isolating mm -hmm. and uh, being the only person in the room basically mm -hmm. is one of those things where it happens a lot. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to have a space where everybody comes together mm -hmm. is, um, I would have to say it's empowering, but it, it's also a sense of belonging. Yeah. You know, that I think is something deeper that folks with disabilities, especially visible disabilities, but even non-visible ones too, mm -hmm. there's not a lot of sense of belonging in our society yet. Uh, when we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, mm -hmm. access should be a part of it because mm -hmm. inclusion doesn't mean access. Mm -hmm. and, and with access, that means we're really creating space that works for everyone. And that's really what universal design is all about, which is pretty great architecture <laughs> that people are starting to use more and more. It's important to find your people, right? I mean, yes. community is hugely important. Absolutely. Yeah. And we have so many different ones, right, yeah. Ed? I mean, it, there's not only one community. There's yeah. multiple ones that we're a part of. Yeah. And, and being able to participate in those communities where we feel like we're making an impact, <laughs> I think, is, is something for me because I'm going to talk about myself here. <laughs> yeah, well, and I do think, that, I mean, it, it, yes, it's hugely important to find your people and, and, and to feel a sense of belonging. Um, but still, it's remarkable that you channeled that, you took that and you channeled it into actually driving change and, and to, you know, and because not everyone reacts that way. I mean, it, it's important to find the things that make you happy and bring you joy, but uh, then to be get out front and advocate and for change and to drive that um, is, yet something else, I think. Yes, I well, you know, I, I think that um, what happened for me mm -hmm. was finding that community, because yeah. community had always been a part of my life. When I look back at it, I was a really social kid, always. <laughs> I Not didn't, surprising. I didn't really enjoy <laughs> confrontation. <shocked>. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I gravitated towards that idea that maybe this could be a space where I felt mm -hmm. safe. Mm -hmm. and. Once I did that, I started to realize that in that space and in my sports space, that we live in a society where we aren't expected to excel as people with disabilities. There's a lot of low expectation around someone with a disability. And oftentimes when that happens, people only rise to that level, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If there's if you're not expected to do much, yeah. then without support, without a community that says, no, mm -hmm. you should try to go for your fullest extent here, I think people get lost. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what happened with people when they have acquired disabilities. Mm -hmm. So there's people that are born with their disabilities. That's about 15% okay. of all disabilities in the world. People mm -hmm. are born with them. Mm -hmm. So the majority of disabilities are acquired. And oftentimes, disabilities are acquired either by um, some kind of trauma mm -hmm. or age-related. Mm -hmm. uh, I like to tell people that disability is a human experience we will all have. If nothing else, age is going to get you. <laughs> yes. So you need to, we need to yeah. prepare a world that gives us the opportunity to sustain our lifestyles throughout our entire lifespan. Mm -hmm. And we don't have that yet. Mm -hmm. We don't have that yet. And with sports, there's this really wonderful piece of humanity that comes forward. There's a connection with humanity. And I discovered that also 
when I started connecting with my community and getting involved with competitive sport mm -hmm. was that sports was a really easy way to have conversations about changes we need to make. Hmm. So I want to explain that because yeah. I use it as a door opener, uh -huh. kind of like an automatic door opener, right? Those ones you see, you push the button and the door opens. <laughs> Yes. Those work for everybody. I mean, it's a mom with the baby in her arms and she can't grab the door. Yep. She can press that button. Yep. They're not just for disabled people. And, and so sports is like that for me, mm -hmm. is that I can talk about sports mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then people are in, because everybody knows something about sports. Either right. they're a spectator or they participate in something. And we have this conversation. And then I can begin to talk about some of the things that need to shift or change in our society or even in a space that would make it a whole lot easier for someone with different types of disabilities mm -hmm. to participate. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful for that platform and my athletic career to have that because it has made it really easy for me to go into spaces and connect with people and then really get people to ally in the idea that accessibility is something we all need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I'm a little bit interested um, since we're not so different in age. Um, is you know, I uh, when you were doing some of this, I was still trying to find my voice as a woman, and how how do I how do I insert myself and feel that I was empowered to have an opinion? Because at least maybe the way I was raised, you know, that really wasn't something that was necessarily encouraged right. uh, for the women of my generation um, and my upbringing. So, how did you marry your experiences and also find your voice and deal with that side of what was happening in society at the same time? I'm just curious. I've never talked to you about that. Yeah. Thanks, Nancy. And so, yeah, I was born in 1954. And, you know, um, I think about sports being, again, that door opener that mm -hmm. I mentioned in that I was a part of a group of mostly men and some women because there were less women involved in adapted sport because usually one of the things is they, they say about 80% of the people who have acquired disabilities are men. And so for women, and especially back when in 1975, when I was injured, for women, it was more trying to regain your femininity. Um, and, and so sports was not that place that people gravitated towards. We didn't have Title IX yet, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and and women weren't that involved in competitive sport. There were definitely women involved with competitive sport, mm -hmm. but there was body image issues, mm -hmm. you know, because if you watched and looked at the fashion magazines, then there was a specific body type and it wasn't someone who had a muscular upper body. And I was developing a muscular upper body because my lower body was paralyzed and I was using a wheelchair for mobility. So I was building muscle pretty quickly and I had some real body issues in the beginning that I tried to, you know, I tried to kind of hide my femininity almost to 
fit into sports mm-hmm. a little bit better because it was such a male dominated place. Mm-hmm. But then it was a couple of years into it, I started to realize that I didn't need to do that to be able to be a part of the group and creating this change. So I was the person that organized, along with one other person, the group called the International Wheelchair Road Racers Club to create guidelines for race directors on how to integrate a wheelchair division into a running race, Mm -hmm. how to do the press, how to do the prize money, uh, how to do men and women, um, keeping it equal at the top, mm-hmm. you know, because oftentimes because we had less women, mm-hmm. they wanted to give us less money. Right. Yes. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 no. Yeah. And I believe that because I was fighting for a cause bigger than me, mm-hmm. I was able to have a voice develop in me. So Nancy, your question about developing that voice, I think it was in that place Mm -hmm. where it was this bigger piece than me. And then I now had this equity in the group of men and women, and I was leader, Mm -hmm. and I was listened to Mm -hmm. by them and participating in the development of the equipment. So I think it was my sport, again, that gave me the confidence because of the accomplishments that I'd already created in my sport mm. that helped me build that. And I think sport's a really great place mm-hmm. for women to develop that kind of confidence. Mm. Now, sport is not always something that's available for everyone, but more so now. I mean, I see way more girls and young women involved in competitive sport to build those skills that can transfer into business, home, family, work, whatever it is that someone is getting involved with. But um, I think we still we still have that ableistic stigma that is like an umbrella over the top of women. Mm-hmm. You know, that our bodies aren't valued for everything. They're only valued for some things. And when I say our bodies, I mean our bodies and minds. Mm-hmm. And, and that is what ableism is all about, mm-hmm. is saying that some bodies and minds are more valuable than other bodies and minds. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and ableism, you don't have to have a disability to feel ableism. And ableism and racism, I heard one of our leaders in the disability rights movement say this, <clears throat> Rebecca Coakley, say ableism and racism are the roots of the same tree yeah oppression Uh and and that ableism has been birthed out of racism Mm. and so in those two areas we need to really dismantle both Mm -hmm. at the same time um, because they support each other in oppressing people Mm -hmm. you know um Strangely, this is an odd time for me to remember something, but in a way, it, it reminds me of how how articulate you are and inspiring, because I remember introducing you to my then 90-plus mother, who had been injured 30 years before and was struggling with some of the same issues. Mm-hmm. She wasn't in uh, using a wheelchair, but she had been unable to use her right arm for the rest of her life. And 
she was really struggling with all of that body issues and where's her voice. And over the years, she'd, she'd found her way. But um, she, when she met you, she listened to every word. You were this like beacon of this is how you do it. And you coined a funny phrase for her because my mom just kept persevering and did really funny stuff. She figured out how to get by. Mm -hmm. But you called her Mrs. McIver, and she always loved it. <laughs> Candace called me Mrs. McIver. I think I am a Mrs. McIver. You know, she had funny things that she learned how to do with, with just her left hand by herself. But um, it is part of what I think about and why I really was hoping that you would have time to come talk with us because you are truly a beacon of skill, uh, but also hope for so many who are somewhere in the journey that you have gone through. Um, but maybe share a little bit about what you, what you do in your time to sort of inspire and speak to people. Um, I know you have a history of being featured speakers here and there. So tell us a little bit about what that's like. You know, what, what do you, who are you talking to and how does that feel? Oh, yeah, thanks, Nancy. And thanks for the memory of your mom, you know, because she really was a Mrs. MacGyver. <laughs> and again, I'm kind of dating myself with the MacGyver thing because it's the original <laughs> MacGyver. But it's just like, I loved MacGyver so much because it felt so much like me where mm. having a disability and a physical one, I'm having to adapt and make up so much stuff. Mm. and as are other people that are moving around. And so, you know, just for instance, a non-disabled person walking, you have a sense of environmental privilege. Mm -hmm. You don't have to pay attention to where you're going. Mm -hmm. You don't need to know what's happening there. If you can get in the bathroom or if you can get into the building, you don't have to. And so the work that I started to do, and I started doing this during my athletic career when I realized with the the activism around creating the wheelchair divisions mm -hmm. that I could be an agent of change. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, okay, this is cool. I, you know, I started to think, okay, so how do I change those negative stereotypes around disability to a positive one? Mm -hmm. And throughout my sports career, I learned I was educating all the time, mm. wherever I was going. I was talking about, well, this isn't working, or that's not working, or this is really good, or that's really great, and pointing things out to people. As I just said, if you have environmental privilege, you wouldn't notice it. You don't it. see it. Yep. Like, you wouldn't see it. Yeah. So, for instance, this building, those doors coming in the building, mm -hmm. the handle is super high. Yes. Now, I've been in and out of this building a few times with Nancy, and I never noticed because she's always opening the door. <laughs> but but uh, I open, tried to open it today by myself, and I thought, who has a handle up above so high? Like, these must have been really tall people that built this thing. But it's so inaccessible for someone, I think, even though is short. Mm -hmm to be able to open a door like that. Um, so how I began to think about my career past sport was, what is this gonna look like? Well, I love teaching. I love teaching people things. So I wanna create some education programs. So I started to develop some curriculum and I talked to different teachers in middle school because I figured middle school kids were probably gonna be my, <laughs> my best ones to try to mold. 
And they said seventh grade. Seventh grade was the ones that were open and they're not too cool for school, but they're still willing to learn. And uh, so I developed a curriculum that met the California state standards called um, Disability is Possibility. And it goes across the entire spectrum of disability. It talks about all the different disabilities, talks about the language like sign language, it talks about the sports, it talks about the laws, it talks about the laws and how the laws are set up. So I had an activity for the kids to go out and measure the accessible parking spot. Mm -hmm. Does it actually meet the standards? Mm -hmm. So they could see, we went into an accessible bathroom. Mm -hmm. Okay, here's all the standards. Does it meet those really? Is it really what it says it is? And it a, was a two-day program and a kit that I developed for the schools that the area I was living in at the time, we put it in all the schools, and the teachers would then each year do it, and they would bring in people with disabilities to do specific parts of it. So, for instance, the language part, we would have someone come in and sign mm -hmm. and teach the kids. The kids learned the song Imagine by John Lennon. <laughs> you know, everything has a reason. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then I'd have someone come in with the service animal uh -huh. and talk about what the service animal, when we talked about the laws. Mm -hmm. and so with that, that got morphed into an adult program that I developed called um, disability, Understanding Disability Education. And that I do for organizations and businesses and um, different groups that want to learn about disability. They want to learn the language, the rules of how to speak to someone, mm -hmm. right? Because there's a, there's a type of etiquette. Sure. And because oftentimes people will say, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Um, so I'm not going to do anything. Oh. I'm just not going to pay attention, which is a way disabled people have had throughout their lives. Um, so I, basic teacher is my basic. And then from there, I've become a jack of all trades. I've worked in so many different industries. I wrote a monthly blog and did videos and interviews for the Christopher Reeve Foundation for eight years. Um, that started more writing for me. Mm -hmm. I worked with a nonprofit called Open Doors Organization that does travel and tourism accessibility for many years. Mm -hmm. I, one of my more recent things here in Los Angeles was working with the bid team that was hoping to bring the Olympics and Paralympics here in 2028. Mm -hmm. I was the director of disability and Paralympic engagement and uh, we won the game, so <laughs> looking forward to seeing what we create yes. in an accessible, really accessible place for people to feel like they're connected. And, uh, and right now, I'm starting to do some work with a couple of groups that are involved in the entertainment industry. In this last year, we've been developing videos hmm that highlight people with disabilities that do work in front of and behind the camera mm -hmm. and what their skills are. And that group's called Lights Camera Access. And, and I really, I'm just learning the ropes from them mm -hmm. and offering what I can uh, because they're the professionals. Mm -hmm. But uh, really understanding that one of the, th there's, there's two things that I've discovered we need when we think about disability and inclusion. Mm -hmm. We need to create more communities for disabled people to connect. Mm -hmm. um, but we also need to create that opportunity for non-disabled 
people to connect with disabled people mm -hmm. in environments where everybody is feeling comfortable. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really hoping to be able to work with some people to develop both of those as we lead up into the games so that we have these spaces. In places. What might that look like? Oh, Ed, that's a great question. <laughs> I, I have some ideas about virtual spaces, uh -huh. and then I also have ideas about in-person things. Hopefully by then we'll be back in person more. Mm, I hope so. Uh, but I, you know, I think it's going to be a combo of things because during the pandemic, mm. one of the things that was huge for people with disabilities was the concept that people could work from home. Mm -hmm. Because before that, people with disabilities have asked over and over to have that as a reasonable accommodation, which mm -hmm. is a part of the Americans with Disabilities Act protections, mm -hmm. to be able to do some of their work from home. Mm -hmm. or Because when we think about a disability, it really encompasses everything in our lives. Transportation. Mm -hmm. You know, what kind of accessible transportation exists out there for someone who uses a power chair to get to and from work? Mm -hmm. What if they don't drive? Right. So what do they have? Well, they have the bus system. We have some trains here. We have access vans, mm -hmm. which are extremely unreliable. Mm -hmm. So then how much time does it take for someone to get out the door in the morning to go somewhere? So if I can just get out of bed and roll up to my desk, that's pretty quick, mm -hmm. okay? If I have to get out of my bed, I have to get dressed, I have to get all my stuff done, which sometimes takes about an hour in the morning for all bodily functions to get going. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, then get in my car, take my wheelchair apart, put it in my car, get in my car, drive here, find an accessible parking spot, mm -hmm. Those aren't usually very helpful mm. um, in lots of places. And then get into the building. So it could be a couple of hours, sure. right? Um, and I know in traffic in LA here, some people <laughs> do spend a couple of hours. <laughs> yeah. But if I was just in traffic for a couple hours and I put my uh, life piece on it, that's four hours. How much energy is someone going to have left mm -hmm. to be able to actually do a job? Right. And so working from home and it being successful during mm -hmm. the pandemic for so many people has been a wonderful piece that people with disabilities are hoping going to continue. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with my, as you asked, what's that look like? Well, I think with my community piece, there's a level of activism that we're teaching people to do, mm -hmm. like pe teaching people to actually become advocates mm -hmm. and be able to self-advocate, but advocate for their community and also to understand how cities work, how mm. policies work, and how the laws really do work. Because there are some things that the Americans with Disabilities Act covers, but there are other things that it doesn't. Mm -hmm. and, and there's things that it doesn't need to. Just those things need to be in place. Mm -hmm. So, And one of my ideas, though, yes. is art, public art. Ooh. Yeah. One of my ideas is public art, huh? murals in particular, yeah. and having non-disabled and disabled artists working together to develop it around social themes and what we want to see in the future mm -hmm. and what we've seen in the past, mm -hmm. you know? Because I, I think our past is really important to be able to articulate, and most people don't know our history at all. I mean, for instance, um, in the early 70s, the Rehabilitation Act was written 
which was supposed to be a part of a civil rights piece that any federally funded programs or um, like schools or businesses, if they were federally funded, they had to be accessible. Mm -hmm. But they didn't write the regulations mm. and they kept putting them off. And it was four years. And after four years of disabled people fighting to get those regulations written, because you can't enforce if you don't have regulations, right. they took over the federal building in San Francisco. And to this day, it is still the longest takeover of a federal building ever in mm -hmm. this country to get those regulations passed. Mm -hmm. And they did. Mm -hmm. And that was the precursor to the Americans with Disabilities Act, the Rehabilitation Act. So. Most people don't know that disabled history, which is no. pretty spectacular, I think. Yes. Um, yeah. And, uh, and if you want to see a fun little clip on it, just Google drunk history, D-R-U-N-K. Yeah, you heard me. Drunk history, <laughs> yeah. 504. Okay. And you're going to get to see an episode that drunk history put together on just that sit-in. I, uh, I pitched the idea to them. And because uh, I have a sister who's an Emmy award-winning costume supervisor for oh. Drunk History, and uh, I'm a fangirl of her, so <laughs> I'm always on set whenever I can be. <laughs> and I kept pitching it to the creators, and they finally said, "Okay, if you help us with this." Yeah. And it turned out to be one of the greatest things that the disabled community has fallen in love with hmm. is Drunk History 504 because it was respectful. It was funny, and it showed the true history of what the civil rights for people with disabilities path has been. Awesome. Yeah. How do you feel about the pace of our progress? So I'm, you know, you you raised, uh, uh, in terms, well, you know, we, we we've obviously made some progress since 1975-ish, you know, um, with the passage of ADA, including, but. Um, has been has it been enough? I sometimes get discouraged. I, I feel like yes, on, on the surface, things look like they're getting better. Um, uh, attitudes are changing. The laws are changing along with them, and then we seem to take several steps back, and mm -hmm. we realize that maybe we haven't made quite the progress we thought we had. Do you, you ever feel that way? Oh yeah, it's never yeah, Ed, yeah, <laughs> it's never fast enough, right? We're instant gratification society, please. We are, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, uh, and and you know. Um, I think, I think we've had great progress, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, one of the things after Americans with Disabilities Act was passed in 1990, the ADA, we started to see a more global effect begin to happen mm -hmm. because people were watching uh -huh. the United States and then they realized that, wow, there's no human rights document that includes people with disabilities. Uh -huh. So in the early 2000s, they started building the Convention on Rights for Persons with Disabilities, which was signed in 2008, which now is the most comprehensive human rights document ever written mm -hmm. because it includes everyone. Mm -hmm. And once that was written and countries started to ratify it and sign it, then they started developing their own human rights and civil rights laws. Mm. Uh, lots of them are still trying to form it, figure it out, but they really started to, really started to look at what they've been doing with their people with disabilities. Like I said earlier, Moscow, the Soviets, yeah. 
oh, we don't have any disabled people because they institutionalized all of them. And still, in some of the post-Soviet countries, uh, I know Armenia is one of them, they have still institutions that they've been trying to close down. But they need help mm. being able to figure out how to create inclusive education and how to create those, those situations where a disabled person is included mm -hmm. in the entire community. Mm -hmm. And that's where the sustainable development goals, the SDGs came into play, our mm -hmm. are, are latest ones that are from 2015 to 2030, is that the previous ones from the Millennium Development Goals didn't mention people with disabilities at all. Mm -hmm. But in the sustainable development goals, the 17 goals, people with disabilities are mentioned 11 times. Wow. And, and so, the biggest, most important goal really for people with disabilities is the sustainable cities. Mm -hmm. Because if we can't get there, we can't participate. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing that happen more and more all over the world. There's some, there's a project going on in LA here that's about accessible sidewalks, mm -hmm. where they're being, all the sidewalks are being evaluated and they're going into a software system that people are gonna be able to tap into to figure out where they can get to and what needs to be fixed. Mm -hmm. And that's happening in five cities in different countries at the same time, LA is participating in that. And you know, so we're seeing progress yes. in that. On the social piece, because uh -huh. I was talking so much more physical, the social piece, I think we really have to focus on dismantling racism. Mm -hmm. Because this is my opinion, once we're able to really dismantle racism, I believe the other isms are going to follow. Mm -hmm. It'll be a little bit like a dominoes mm -hmm. because we'll then get to that level of understanding and consciousness of, of, of inclusion mm -hmm. and, and that we have in this country, you know, a level of white supremacy that has built everything that we believe in. And, and we just, we have to dismantle it and yeah. rebuild it. And we have the ability to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just, people get really scared. Again, it's my perspective. People get really scared when they're forced to change yeah. and they get angry. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why the Americans with Disabilities Act doesn't work that well mm. is because it's based on litigation. Mm -hmm. It's like that's how it gets enforced. And so you either educate or you litigate. Right. And oh my gosh, education is so much more friendly. Yeah. And we haven't done enough of that. Mm -hmm. And so people get angry when they get told, no, you have to do this. Mm -hmm. So what are they going to do? Mm -hmm. The minimum. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we really, from my perspective, we want to have everyone who's non-disabled now know that the changes that are made affect them too. Yes. In a positive way. Yes. Right? Right. Yeah. So no, it's not fast enough. <laughs> but um, but I, I'm I'm an eternal optimistic person. <laughs> That's so great. so um, thank you, mom and dad. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you for yeah. bringing me up like that. Yes. <laughs> um I guess maybe one of our final questions should be looking ahead with you. What can any of us do to sort of individually bring some of your thoughts and our support of it into um, everyday conversations and really feel that we are um, 
you know, an ally for the disabled community. What thoughts do you have yeah, for us, Candice? Thank you, Nancy. <laughs> I love having that as a final question because it's, um, it's simple, um, but it might not feel like it's easy uh, because we're asking people to get out of their comfort zones mm -hmm. and, and to, you know, I suppose it's, it's got empathy in it, but to have more of a sense of compassion. And I think with compassion, there's more of an opportunity to try to understand. Uh, because I think sometimes when we're trying to feel what it feels like to be that thing, it is really awkward. And, and it can help when you're with other people that, for instance, someone with a disability and you're with them and you want to know more about them, one of the first things someone can do is ask and say, I've got some questions and that I'd like to ask. And if there's something you don't want to answer, feel free not to answer. Mm -hmm. And that's one way is to learn. So educate yourself mm -hmm. and really do educate yourself. Get, take a program of, mm -hmm. you know, what is the language? What are the different disabilities? What are some of the you know, the, the things about someone who uses a wheelchair different from someone who uses a prosthetic. Mm -hmm. What are, what are those, when you, if um, someone's blind, um, can I say, oh, don't you, you know, we're going to look at that or something. It's like, that's okay. You could say that. We say it all the time. <laughs> it's not, it, it, that kind of language is, is not so important. What's oh. more important is what one, someone wants to be called. Mm -hmm. So, Within the disability community, there's two fractions. And, and just to like move back a little bit on that, the disability movement is young, right? I said mid 20th century, mm -hmm. right? It's mm -hmm. pretty young uh, compared to most rights movements. Mm -hmm. So we're still figuring it out, <laughs> what we want and how we want it and how we want to be called. Because within the community, we're still we're still having these conversations because of ableism, uh -huh. you know? So when we think of the word disabled, it's like there's a definition, Webster's Dictionary definition, broken, unable, all these things, right? Mm -hmm. So people don't want to identify with that, but it is the word that's identified with all of the protections and the rights and the laws and things. So my theory is we should redefine it, mm -hmm. you know, as someone who, in, you know, adapts or, you know, come up with something. But we haven't figured that out yet. So we go by disabled people or people with disabilities. And they mean different things. People with disabilities is about person-first language. Mm -hmm. So it's about putting the person first. Mm -hmm. It seems respectful. Mm -hmm. It's great. The other one, disabled person, is about identity, is identifying as a disabled person. Uh, I'm a black person. You know, I'm a white person. Mm -hmm. Those are, I'm an LGBTQ person. That's, you know, they don't say I'm a person with LGBTQ. <laughs> so, so that's, you see where the conversation happens between in the community. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is open mind. Mm -hmm. Open mind, yeah. Uh, we've done things always the way we've done things, but maybe that's not working. Mm -hmm. And have fun, you know, <laughs> have fun with it. Just, it's, it's not, it's not, um, life or death it it's about all of us getting to play together in the sandbox mm -hmm. and you know earth is our sandbox and we want to take care of it we want to take care of each other 
we want to, I mean, we want to live in love and compassion mm -hmm. and inclusion. And, and so I think if we're curious and we have fun with it and we are respectful and we ask questions, mm -hmm. don't assume. Yeah. Just always ask questions because that's the best. I mean, when someone comes up to me and says, hey, I have a question and they ask it mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh, that's not very nice. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I think I'm not going to answer that and um, we're going to do something else uh, because there are some pretty, you know, there's lots of trolls out there. Let's sure. just say that. Yeah. There's lots of trolls out yeah. there. And I am a person that always looks for the light mm -hmm. in things mm -hmm. and, and in people. And so for me, I, I want people to believe that disability is not a good thing or a bad thing. It's a human life experience. Mm -hmm. We will all have at some point and it's going to be fun. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Candace, um, I so appreciate you taking the time to come talk with us and share your, um, you know, your, your optimism, your thinking, your leadership. Uh, it's, it's really truly been uh, enlightening for me and also uh, and you've given me hope. Um, I think that uh, you're clearly making change happen um, and we need uh, uh, more people to, 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 to join in that and I think that you are leading the way and I just want to say thank you. I'm grateful for that. Um, we want to thank all of you, uh, our listeners as well, for um, joining us today um, as your own agent of change. You, know, you can catch more about Change Lab itself at www.yourchangelab.com. Coming late this summer, you'll find uh, fun, educational, gamified courses making a difference to the nonprofit community. Uh, watch for our next and last episode, our six. Candice, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Ed. Thank you for having me. Um, it's great. I'm looking forward to the future with yeah. you all. Well, with you in it, it looks good. We're with you there. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you again, Candace. We're always charmed by you. And today yes. was a great conversation. Thank you. Oh, thank you.